Hello, Chitheads listeners, and welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I interview Joachim Vindenis, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Bergen in Norway. Our conversation today revolved around topics related to virtual reality, or VR for short. This is a really interesting topic that we haven't had an opportunity to explore on the podcast, um, and many people might understandably have some hesitations about what VR has to do with the things we explore at Embodied Philosophy. Uh, but Joachim's research is about the intersection between virtual reality, uh, the therapeutic use of virtual reality, and also philosophical uh, questions about art and identity and a lot of the um, uh, the philosophical principles that we explore through Eastern philosophical traditions like non-dual states. He also has uh, a bit to say about the relationship between virtual reality and contemplative practice, which of course is what we're all about here at Embodied Philosophy. So uh, I found this conversation to be very interesting and is actually a great um, introduction to a the topic of virtual reality and its relationship to Eastern philosophy, which we're going to be exploring for the next couple of months at Embodied Philosophy, culminating in, a, in an event in February, which is an online conference on the intersection of Eastern philosophy and virtual reality. So if you are interested in uh, and signing up and 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 getting more updates about when this conference is happening and, and articles about it, make sure that you join us by going to embodiedphilosophy.com forward slash VR, and you can sign up for the mailing list and we'll send you more information as things um, unfold. Again, that's embodiedphilosophy.com forward slash VR. So thank you very much for joining us and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to Chitheads. My guest today is Joachim Vindenis. Joachim is a PhD candidate at the University of Bergen in Norway, where he is researching virtual reality technologies. In his spare time, he runs Matrice, a blog focused on the intersections of virtual reality or VR, consciousness, science, and philosophy. Matrice has lately increased in popularity and discusses VR technology in relation to topics such as psychedelics, Hinduism, existentialism, meditation, and non-dual states, topics that we're going to explore today. So hello, Joachim. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, it's nice to have the opportunity to talk to you and to explore um, a subject or a topic that we haven't really looked too much into on the Chitheads podcast. So this is definitely new territory. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but to begin, I would love to just hear a little bit about, you know, how you became interested in virtual reality and what has led you to, you know, this PhD research that you're doing now. Yeah, I think for me, I just happened to try VR in a, like a shopping mall. Mm. And from that instance, it was, I mean, it is a very experiential uh, stuff. It's, you have to sort of experience it, which is some of, um, some of its uh, great aspects. And from then it was, okay, wow, I didn't know what we do with it um, because it's had like a sort of power. 
So for me, it was just I was on this mountain looking down and had a fear of heights. So that was really the start for me. And uh, I had just been interested in, okay, this is a nice thing to program because I was a programmer. Uh, so it was nice uh, to be fear of heights or programming an, an encounter with a fear of heights. Well, uh, not, not necessarily just being able to actually program experiences um, instead of like you have a small graphic user interface, like a square on a screen. This was more lively, uh, more felt. Yeah. So it was an interesting topic to see uh, what, what you could do with it. So just to press on with that, what you're saying about a fear of heights, was it that the fear of heights led you to want to explore that experience in a way that might get you over your fear of heights? Or what was the connection there? Uh, we have actually been doing some work with exposure therapy, uh, this for um, fear of public speaking uh, to some degree, but it was most mostly that uh, an actual technology could deliver such intense experiences or I like to say that um, you can deliver the content in the format of reality. Uh, and when you get to work with that, okay, you can maybe do more than you can with uh, designing an app for a smartphone or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So on that, um, on sort of on the topic of what you're starting to, to discuss, uh, which is, you know, I think most people when they think about virtual reality or when people are considering virtual reality, it's generally... Um, spoken about as a kind of um, escape from reality or something that is taking us away or distracting us from the needs of the world. It's sort of like a juvenile pastime in some sense. So obviously this is not, you know, your primary interest in VR, although of course it's being used in that way as well. Um, so what are the ways, you know, you're already beginning to discuss the ways in which it, there are therapeutic um, benefits, but can you talk about a little bit of the research that's being done around um, the therapeutic benefits of, of VR technologies? Yeah, sure. Um, I think there's not necessarily anything wrong with the sort of distraction um, in itself. Of course, uh, everything can become a problem in that regard, but no, that is not my primary interest. Um, I really enjoy some of the research that is using virtual embodiment um, where those who participate in VR identify with the virtual body and they use this as sort of like an explicit mediation to change the person's uh, notion of self uh, in particular. Uh, one of the favorite experiments that I enjoy there is uh, one that puts you in um, the body of like a virtual uh, Dr. Freud and um, you actually get to, well, first you are embodied in uh, yourself and you, uh, Dr. Freud asks you to tell you a story and about your life or how you're doing and then you are placed in another body hearing yourself telling that story. So the ability to change perspectives, maybe you can give yourself um, like a warm hug um, if you're able to view your problems from outside, not being that judgmental or critical. Uh, I think that is maybe a core uh, feature, that it enables you to change experience, to break out of the normal way of thinking that uh, I am this thing inside my body and this is how I relate to the world or to other people. Just if it can enable people to break for just a few seconds from that thing, just to, okay, maybe I can look for these experiences in other things. Um, yeah. So like an intervention, there are a lot of these things 
by embodying people in different ways. Yeah. I mean, even when you just described that, I can already feel how potentially powerful that would be to to essentially articulate, you know, as if you were in a therapeutic setting and then to have this opportunity then to sort of, you know, after the fact, then flip it around and see a body looking very much like yourself articulating the same thing. Mm. And the, but from the position of an observer, I mean, it's really, it's quite, it seems like it would be quite powerful. So have there been, um, uh, has this actually been implemented in therapeutic practice so far, or is it something that's more just being experimented with and um, has yet to be practiced? Yeah, um, in this case, um, I'm not sure of the first authors of this paper, but uh, one of the primary researchers in the VR field who is doing this is called Mel Slater. And um, he does actually have a company, I think, that is called Virtual Body Works, uh, where they are actually attempting to use this. Yeah. Um, so I think so. So there ha but there hasn't been much um, information yet about the effects from the perspective of the of the patient. Do we know anything about that? That that is interesting. I mean, the paper that discusses this uh, is, um, of course, relying on the patient information that uh, they it allowed a new perspective. I do think, however, that a lot of research is based on like these numerical measurements, um, on like on a scale from uh, one to ten. How do you feel after this right. uh, such and such intervention? Uh, which is perhaps not the style that I would like to do in my own research, but. It would be interesting to do more like a phenomenological, phenomenological um, study of how does it feel, how does this change of perspective feel, etc., to understand it better. But still, the research is very good. It's it is showing the effects of the intervention. So, um, yeah. Excellent. So it does are, it does seem to work. Yeah, I mean, it, I, it seems like it would. I mean, just just by how kind of radically different it is from the normal kind of you know therapeutic. Um, interaction. So um, uh, uh, what are some of the other features of your your research or some of the interests of your research in particular? For me, I am now, um, I'm doing a PhD on VR. Um, I've been doing so for two years and uh, I have two more, uh, two, two more years left. What I'm looking into is to, um, like I said, um, trying to gain a qualitative understanding of the VR experience itself. Yeah. And the interesting thing for me is how it actually mediates our experience. Because when you enter a virtual environment, to a certain degree, the application is defining your subject position or who you are in terms of the virtual environment. And this uh, is sort of radically uh, defined by the medium. So I want to gain an understanding of how does it actually mediate experience. In my case, I will do a study where people can create or uh, creatively express themselves uh, by, by drawing or by using images, etc., in buildings, and just to see what kind of relationship they can develop to the virtual space. Uh, because I think, um, I mean, we use a lot of we use a lot of um, energy in defining the spaces that are around us, like they, they identify us. Uh, we have objects that we like that represent symbolic values for us. Uh, right now I'm in my, in my home. Uh, I made this a particular way because it symbolizes things for me. And I think this will be a necessary thing to also bring to the virtual. How can we 
uh, make the virtual meaningful, uh, not just like uh, smack up a few walls and do something, but uh, how can we make uh, interaction with virtual realities meaningful in some way? Yeah, I mean, you talk about this a little bit, um, you know, in, on your blog where I did a lot of, um, where I've read a lot of the, the things that you've written about this. And, and one of the things that you mention is that you you don't want to dominate the user's experience, but rather open it up for new ex experiences that can be interpreted by the user. So is that in a sense a little bit like, you know, moving into your, using your home as an analogy, you move into your home and you're kind of forced to exist in the design and the aesthetic that someone else has chosen for you. Where so it's uh, sort of analogous to you walking into a home and having the 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 sort of creative um, opportunity to make it what you want it to be. Is it something similar to that in in what you're looking to to cultivate in the in the VR experience? Is this sort of open openness to interpretation, openness to um, the you know the outflow of creativity in some way? Yeah, maybe uh, in a sense, I think. The aim of not attempting to dominate any user experience would be in the context of uh, trying to provide um, some sort of um, therapy or um, maybe spiritual wellness um, in a sense that I think also that it, it can be a danger to just be immersed in like your your own little private world. Yeah. But I, I, I think I think good. there I it, it I would be <laughs> no right. So maybe um, the sort of surprise aspect uh, of a virtual environment would be to how can you maybe reveal something about yourself that you didn't know. Um, when I wrote that or thought about that perspective, like um, doing like it, um, that the user experience is not wholly defined by the system requirements of the system. It's more being able to depend on you and maybe show you something that you didn't know. Uh, that's been an, uh, j just an inspiration from um, like using uh, flotation tanks or doing meditation because often then you get surprised. Um, you get surprised if you pay attention. Uh, so if you pay attention to something that can reveal something to you. Maybe this can sort of intensify that pro progress or uh, bring you into an accordance with something or, yeah. So in this case, the medium would not try to sh show you something that is predefined, but maybe act as an augmentation of your bodily status or your mind status or get you to focus in, lock in uh, like a meditation thing into some feed or something um, and you can go from there, yeah. So I'd like to kind of maybe get a little more um, detailed in what you're talking about already, which is meditation, because of course, you know, those listening will are, are mostly familiar with uh, this podcast as, as one that explores contemplative practices. Um, so obviously we're talking yeah. already talking about it, but can you speak a little more directly to the ways in which VR can support um, contemplative practice, you know, versus, I mean, not to say that, you know, the 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 generally formal ways that it can be done are are are, are less than effective. But w in what ways does VR kind of support or can potentially augment that meditative sort of state? Yeah, sure. I think for my part, I have yet to use VR in any meditative practice. Um, although I have had extraordinary experiences with VR that of course have been meditational in the sense that it's been a focused experience um, on certain aspects. 
so for me, it's more an interesting way of research, uh, potential future possibilities. But the hypothesis that I do have is that um, for me, meditation helped me um, sort of zone in with my body uh, to actually listen uh, in a way just not to be in my head. And I think that that could be an aspect, for instance, through um, using uh, like uh, heart monitors or um, other sort of biometric signals from the body and sort of portray them uh, through your outer reality. So you have virtual environments that sort of breathe with you um, through your breath and represents your inner state to a certain extent. And I have hope for like a neurofeedback thing, maybe, uh, that can help you sort of synchronize um, the two aspects of yourself if you feel very divided or alienated. Mm. Uh, and maybe that can help you sort of look for that in the everyday. So, okay. Um, so I wanted some clarification around this idea of, of you're talking about it breathes with you. So is that just to kind of visually represent it, because I'm having a hard time sort of imagining it. Is it that the the device is is creating a sort of mirroring experience where you are vi seeing a visual representation of your inner state? Is that essentially what it does? Yeah, but it could also be more or less abstract. I mean, you could have the, tr the trees um, or the wind following your breath, oh. um, or uh, or the clouds uh, moving in a certain. Uh, and and it, it could either be firstly based on your heart rate and then the virtual environment is representing that or it could be that the virtual environment is calm and is trying to get you calm through the synchronization. So it could be either or, oh, but attempting to this synchronization of the inner state of you and the outer state uh, yeah. of the world um, to maybe try to approach. Uh, it doesn't mean that it would have to fix anything. It could have a calming effect then and there. but to try to see how um, maybe then if you're walking through the city, you can you can feel or try to move something of the same thing, not alienating yourself from it, but trying to approach some sort of unity in a way. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I like sort of both of the ways you describe it could be utilized because you could imagine that in, in, in some contexts, it can be incredibly fruitful for an individual to be able to witness and maybe because maybe they didn't even know how anxious or erratic their kind of inner nervous system state was and they have this opportunity to actually like fully reflect on just how stressed out they are you know and then and then and then maybe subsequent to that there's this then opportunity to then use the same sort of experience to do to then calm them down and to take them towards a state of equilibrium so that's so that's so fascinating what was interesting about the breathing you know the breathing environment um, which touches on another uh, article on your blog is that it really reminds anyone listening who happens to have taken any kind of psychedelic substance that it sort of is very analogous to that experience because anybody who's done you know magic mushrooms for example has witnessed the the kind of breathing nature of nature really, yeah. and, and yeah. the way in which you see you know mountains kind of wave like um, in a way that sort of corresponds to your own inner tapestry and and you know everything else so um so segueing into that, you know, you've written about how um, virtual reality and psychedelics are, 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 are in some sense, uh, I don't know, they can facilitate sort of similar types of experience. Um, so w w do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, primarily it's because they are showing you things that are, um, to a certain degree, virtual. They are changing your experience of the external environment and uh, uh, you're relating to stuff that is not, uh, well, it's, it's, it is at least subjective uh, in the moment. Um, so I, I think, in a way, psychedelics can be a model for how therapeutic applications uh, should be. And I, I know of several uh, VR applications that I'm not sure if they explicitly state that that is their intention, but it's at least very uh, obvious that um, they're doing this. And um, some of, I mean, I know one researcher who I met at a conference who made the sort of thing that I talked about previously where the environment breathe with, breathes with you. Um, but also there are similar things. There, there are really a lot of this stuff uh, to bring into the synchronization. And to me, I mean, that is what psychedelics uh, tend to do, right? Um, there is no longer the total separation, um, as you can also get in meditation or and, uh, maybe even more so, uh, between your inner life and the outer environment. It seems to sort of go together in a different way. Um, you don't get the blurred hard line between your um, your subjective state uh, and the outer environment. So I think that VR may have something to learn from psychedelics in this regard. And of course, the one does not exclude the other, um, which is also an interesting aspect to how maybe um, VR may be able to facilitate psychedelic experiences uh, in a better way. Yeah. So this is this is all very interesting. And I guess one of my broader questions that I have for you is, you know, obviously we're witnessing an increased interest in both VR and psychedelics. There seems to be just a, a seeking out of, you know, states of consciousness that sort of transcend the, the current and prevailing narratives. And do you have any thoughts, you know, you know, waxing philosophical, as it were, about why this is? Like, is there something specific about the time that we're living in, besides the fact that it's even possible, you know, particularly with VR, um, that we're so mm. interested in seeking out these ex kinds of experience? I'm not sure, but I mean, a common thing to blame or uh, praise would be the internet, right? Um, there is a lot of information available to people. You stumble over things, you notice, oh, what I've thought for so long was so-and-so. And yeah, I guess uh, information is readily available. And to be honest, psychedelics and virtual reality is one of the, uh, at least to me, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, they are very interesting topics. So, when information is available, people who are interested will find what is interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, one of the, the 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 topics that you explore on your blog relates to Heidegger's um, conception of or his critique of technology, um, which is quite nuanced. But you um, bring up this this idea of an inframing narrative, right? This um, the way in which we are kind of socialized um, in various ways to try to lock in or box in our various you know perspectives about life and the way that reality functions. 
and and you really point out quite beautifully the way in which VR can assist in um, maybe disrupting those and framing narratives. So do you have any um, thoughts on that? Because I guess that's more, I guess the the spirit of my question is is wondering, you know, are our current and framing narratives in you know whatever Western culture um, leading to a, just a profound need to break out in a sense that is maybe um, more uh, is calling people now more than at other times in history. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, personally, I noticed at least on the internet or, or yeah, in general, the tendency to root for a certain team, right? Um, and the cultural, um, I mean, I'm, I'm young, I don't know. <laughs> but it seems that uh, the cultural um, way of actually being able to be uh, righteous in this or that way and to define yourself as on the righteous theme in, in, in so-and-so way, it, it at least has a certain power to it uh, that makes people subscribe to it, uh, which, for better or worse. And at least it makes you notice the power of um, what Heidegger is talking about, about like uh, Dasman and how you ought to uh, adhere to a certain uh, cultural narrative and the way these narratives inframe the world in a certain way, it presents the world in a very easy way, right? So the way I understand Heidegger, and I'm not a philosophy uh, major in any way, is that um, all of these perspectives that people have can be seen to be correct i mean they are not wrong they are correct relative to the own framework that they are presenting um, on the subject however they may still limit uh, revelations they may, may still limit our perspectives um, and the way we see things and to me one of the most beautiful experiences in the world is that of revelation when something breaks loose when these things fall down and you can actually see the stream um, in some way coming through uh, which is more beautiful, uh, yeah. and that may be the definition the, the definition of truth in this regard, as opposed to correctness. Yeah. So I th I think that many people may may feel that. Um, I'm not sure. Of course, VR may help in this. It may also make it worse. Mm. For me, when I um, tried to imagine a technology that could act as a catalysator for um, revealing of truth relative to a technological inframing. It was more like a challenge because I was reading uh, some of, uh, there's a philosopher called Don Idy, um, who was, uh, he's, an, he's an American, I think he's at Stony Brooks University, he's getting old now, but he's still publishing, um, who Sorry, is what, very critical you, of Heidegger's technology. Uh, Don, as in Donald, I-H-D-E. Yeah. Uh, I-H-D-E. Okay, I'm going to look him up. Sorry to yeah. interrupt you. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Um, he, he was sort of, uh, he is uh, terming a new um, direction for phenomenology, which he uh, calls post-phenomenology, mm. where he is critical uh, of Heidegger's uh, technology criticism um and sort of i mean i i'm very heartfelt agreeing with heidegger i think it is metaphysically true it's just not necessarily as practical so he was writing something like um 
it's, it's very hard to imagine any modern technology that would fulfill Heidegger's requirements of actually revealing some sort of truth. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to imagine that like just like a thought experiment, uh, how VR could do that. Um, and I think it may be true to an extent, but then again, Heidegger's technology criticism is very rough. Yeah. Uh, not many can escape it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, it seems like, um, and I wonder if this is something you consider as well, I'm sure it is, is that there's, there's of course, like the kind of research that you're doing, which is sort of thinking along the lines of um, liberation or transcendence or some kind of therapeutic impulse. And then there's sort of the impulse of capitalism, which is going to entertain and in a certain sense, like enslave people to the narratives that sell, right? And this is sort of an ongoing, I mean, in every industry, this is of some, of course, something that we have to face. Um, so I wonder if there's, you know, even ways in which VR also can can kind of assist that political project of, which is sort of what you're saying, political project of kind of disrupting those, those inframing narratives. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, at the same point of being a person who believes in the power of, say, VR to do um, good, I am, would classify myself as a technological determinist also in that regard. And the same thing. Um, what does that mean, te regarding technological to, determinist? What does that mean? Um, that technology sort of runs its own course and maybe the same thing can be applied to uh, capitalism that uh, this is something that sort of has to happen or happens um, and that we can't do much about it. But at the same time, I would be a, a part of that. Uh, the good thing about that determinism that um, someone will also explore the positive aspects of it. So. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a perspective of it. It will get worse before it gets better or something like that. But um, I think that for many people, it will be a personal and existential choice how they deal with technologies. And hopefully for those who are willing to make those choices, there will be available options to use those technologies for other purposes than the prescribed um, yeah. way that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I sort of Maybe. feel that way a little bit about phones. I sort of feel like eventually it's going to get so bad that there will be a sort of backlash against, um, you know, the 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 kind of exhaustive use of phones or the way in which phones have kind of completely penetrated every aspect of our lives. Um, yeah. At least, I mean, and I feel, I mean, I feel like certain cultures, especially in American culture, it seems to be getting much worse. And I know, you know, it's it's there's slight variations uh, based on culture, um, but. But it seems to be to be getting quite bad. So yeah, I think you're you're right. And um, I really liked what you mentioned before about this this um, um, this distinction between truth and correctness, um, which really actually I think dovetails nicely with um, the insights of many um, Eastern philosophical traditions. You write in um, uh, you write about um, uh, Hinduism particularly in your in, in your blog or on your blog. And, um, and of course the, the, the Eastern mystics would agree that truth is something that transcends the sort of, you know, the mm. categorizations of, of culture. Um, so 
I, I wanted to, you know, touch on Hinduism because, of course, many people in our audience are very interested in it. Um, and you seem to be, you see, you see quite a obvious parallelism between um, the kind of insights of VR and, and some of the Hindu um, uh, theological and philosophical principles. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and the, and the kind of parallel that you see between them? Yeah. To the degree I understand it, I'm quite new to the field. Um, but I think that maybe the primary similarity is the fondness for or the understanding of the world as a drama. Um, so when I think of VR, I think, okay, uh, what is VR? What is the origin of VR? Uh, and I think the origin of VR is our tendency to to wish to create stories, maybe to create realities um, and to create drama in that sense. So VR is like the, uh, it's an ultimate representation. And uh, of course, uh, Hinduism is a big thing, but at least in the terms of uh, illusion, like right, um, uh, Maya and adhering to the illusory, which can be a negative thing it can be a cause of suffering but it can also be uh, a marvelous and magical thing so um the dream the sort of tickle when we create movies when we see things we and when we create culturally and framing narratives as uh, heidegger we, we we wish to create stories and we wish to create worlds um which are equally as virtual um the worlds and the narratives we present to ourselves uh, as maybe things that are mediated through the vr so it's an interesting perspective for both, um, for Hinduism to look at VR and for VR to look at Hinduism. Of course, uh, the Matrix uh, film series would be like the um, uh, ultimate primary example of this uh, for most people. But it's, I mean, it's interesting to go further uh, back to the original um, sort of story. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy these perspectives. Uh, I enjoy it as a worldview. Uh, in that sense, and uh, it, it's interesting to see the humanity in the technology, yeah, uh, and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, what's uh, what's interesting, I think, is you know, uh, the, our conversation is oscillating between you know two different ideas of of illusion, like illusion that sort of binds us in a kind of way. And, and of course, in the Vedanta, the Vedanta is, is particularly uh, uh, perceived, you know, looks at Maya more as an enslaving illusion, right? Um, and sort of, you know, the life goal or the, the goal of, of, of um, existence is to transcend and to become one with Brahman and to realize one's true self as Atman. Um, but then there's also other, you know, traditions in Hinduism, like the Tantric Shaiva tradition, which is, which sees actually illusion as as potentially liberating, um, or as as useful. And I think that's the other side of what we're talking about is this utility of illusion. And I was thinking, actually, I wanted to talk about this earlier, but I forgot to bring it up. And I'm wondering if you've seen that Netflix series starring Emma Stone, um, where they go. Um, to this, there's this sort of like therapeutic VR experiment. Um, uh, I can't remember what the, what it's called. I should have looked up the title of it beforehand. But essentially, there it's like this 
they these people get selected and they are supposed to get some money um, but it's this big radical experiment where the the machine is basically a therapist and the machine essentially has some kind of consciousness but the 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 individuals who enter into this um, uh, this experiment they have uh, vi virtual encounters with each other and then they also have virtual experiences by themselves and the computer that is the therapist also plays roles in, in, their, in this kind of illusion and the point of it is to work them through certain traumas or certain issues and you know the character of Emma Stone for example ends up um, you know her, her sister dies and she has a lot of guilt and grief over it and by oh. the end of the series she sort of moves through this 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 um, grief, you know, and, and actually transcends it in it. And to me, that also really aligns with the the kind of Hindu narrative of of Maya or of Leela, where we are, you know, going through yeah. these different narratives of life in order to resolve certain karmas. Yeah, I haven't seen it, unfortunately, but that sounds like a great tip uh, I should do. Um, but yeah, I think Leela, is that like play or something? It's play, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Uh, it, it sounds great, um, and I think also it's 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 interesting with uh, science fiction or uh, in general imagination to just inspire these things and uh, how can we do it like? Um, and I think also that is something that uh, my next blog entry will be about is VR as a sort of existential problem. In that. To a certain extent, without making it sound too grandiose, um, it is kind of godlike being able to define reality, uh, at least in its conceptual variant. Right now, it's it works well, etc. But if we are asked this question that we can actually define um, not necessarily reality, but what we feel as the input and output of our system, what should we do? Mm. Um, there aren't that many limitations in terms of experiences in the virtual as it is in the real. So VR as an existential problem would ask us to a certain extent who we are in uh, because of what what do you want to do? If you're given the possibilities, what would you want to do? Uh, and that is also what is uh, triggering me uh, to explore these uh, alternative uses of the medium because there is a lot of possibilities here and what would we like to actually experience? Um, and science fiction is, is basically a way to do that. Uh, science fiction has always been, um, yeah. So um, I need to find out. Yeah, you have Did to you say Emma Stone? Emma Stone. I will, I'll look up the title after this conversation and I'll send you the link to it because I think you would find it. I mean, especially given your research, you'd find it super fascinating. It's very, yeah, it's very connected to all of this. Um, yeah, and it's cool. also pretty good. It's a pretty good, um, you know, as far as yeah, Netflix that's series well. go. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, um, so you know, this is something that comes up, and I've seen this in other um, uh, philosophical thought experiments before. I think maybe brain in a vat is is one of them, um, where the idea is, you know, what is, and you bring a, a sort of similar um, uh, train of thought in one of your articles, where the question is something like, if you could satisfy your sexual desires, for example, in the context of a virtual environment, um, or if you could find, you know, modes of human fulfillment that typically people seek out in the outside world um, and have all of that 
sort of satiated or satisfied by a virtual experience, then what's wrong with that? Um, and is there, you know, is there something wrong with that? Like at the end of the day, like what it, what allows us to discern whether or not that's better than an unsatisfied life in the real world? And I'm sort of wondering, yeah. just personally, kind of what you think, uh, what your response is to that question, um, uh, and if you do think that there is something about, uh, you know, if if we could find human fulfillment in a, a virtual experience. Would we be missing something if we weren't actually going through the unsatisfied, ex unfulfilled experience of a typical human life? Yeah, that's a great question. Of course, it depends on your worldview, right? So, um, and to get back to Heidegger, it, it depends on do you imagine or can you imagine that your life? will give you a surprise. Say that you are in uh, a rut, uh, you're stuck, uh, there's not much hope, etc., and you have the possibility of a good virtual life. Not that this is necessarily a, a reality right now, but um, for the thought experiment. It's a great way to test our ability to uh, wish for authenticity or what is authenticity? Is it just the answer to our inner needs or is it something else? So for my part, um, I hope uh, I wouldn't uh, succumb to uh, the virtual reality uh, temptations, but that is because what, what I would value or what I hope I would value is the surprise, the ability for a certain narrative to take a huge, gigantic turn, um, something that um, Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, would call like uh, the U catastrophe. Um, that everything is dark, but there is this uh, possibility for a shining light to sort of turn uh, at the last minute of the narrative. So the surprise, um, the ability for your whole reality to turn inside out um, would be missed if you are betting on the way that you currently understand the world to be continued in a better way in a simulated reality. So it, it just depends on whether you think you know enough if you knew enough and you have like this reductive um, narrative, like uh, I don't know what they call it, but like scientismic or whatever, um, you, you think that the world works in a certain way, you're very sure of it, and that you're just a sensory modal loop uh, going into sort of um, feed and this is a process of that. Then maybe, uh, or I have actually talked to specific people, they, yeah, they would opt in for the pleasure machine or the experience machine. Um, and yeah, that is more like a symptom decision, I suppose. Um, yeah. What would be interesting is to be able to be surprised, to be able to have a revealing uh, of something that you didn't know that can rush over you. Uh, and that would, of course, be left out. Yeah. I think that's a really good point like that you're making that it's the desire for that is in a certain sense kind of symptomatic of a worldview or an inframing narrative where what you're describing is sort of missing, which is part of the reason why I think philosophy is so important. You know, it's like interesting mm, that mm. philosophy and science get separated and scientists try to 
try to to be to wax philosophical without actually a knowledge of the tradition and 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 so many presuppositions kind of play into their you know characterization of you know what reality is all about um uh, anyway that's my own personal bias <laughs> yeah no i i completely agree yeah i i enjoy philosophy and i think it um it serves a really important role that most people do not really um understand yeah yeah or take the time to explore um, yeah. Or think that it's about, you know, kind of armchair theorizing and has no kind of way of, you know, affecting or relating to everyday reality. Yeah. So this has been super interesting and, and we're moving towards the end of our, our conversation. And so I wanted to just maybe ask you an open ended question of, of um, um, you know, other ways that you um, just based on what we're saying um, in terms of the kind of more beneficial effects of. Um, illusion or VR, if you have any other thoughts um, or, or things you wanted to wrap up based on what we've been talking about. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I think that whatever gets people to adopt or try new perspectives uh, and even if it's in a sort of an interventional way, if it can surprise them into new perspectives, it's what is needed. So I don't think that, um, say, if you're trying to approach some sort of understanding or enlightenment, it wouldn't be depending, of course, on the actual virtual experience. The virtual experience would be a way to open up uh, said view of uh, um, perspective towards something. So my hope for vr is that it can give people new experiences that can help them um uh, not to live in vr but yeah. to uh to, to use that as a way to actually appreciate reality uh, which is something that um jaron lanier who actually founded the term vr is talking about in this book that um there is also a feeling that when you get back from virtual reality wow it's, it's nice to be being able to live in this tactile really felt uh, human world um, and being able to reflect on reality based on your experiences from virtual reality can uh, make and provide an attentive relationship towards how you are feeling. And uh, I think that can be beneficial. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting and kind of um, not paradoxical, that's the wrong word, but to reflect on, you know, you can imagine, of course, like we're saying that that there are these addictive tendencies, right, in human culture to to want to, um, uh, in some sense, evade the the, the suffering and, and the pain of existence. And we do that in a variety of ways. We take drugs, we drink, and and then of course we can also like put ourselves in this virtual world. And you're describing sort of, you know, that the VR might itself also um, could potentially, in the you know, used in the right way, actually heal though help to heal that which would trigger someone to live completely in a virtual world. Um, so, you know, using VR to transcend your addiction to VR <laughs> might be an interesting <laughs> thing to explore. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, so lastly, I guess one thing that I wanted to talk about, which we've been talking a little bit about, but I wanted to talk about it more directly is um, there is this sense of uh, that the, the freeing of different kinds of experiences, you know, it feels a little bit similar to a kind of 
um, artistic impulse, right? And the, the mm. art as something that kind of exceeds the normal boundaries of, of our aesthetic imagination. And, and you talk about this a little bit, I think, in, in, in your considerations of Heidegger, where Heidegger was interested, particularly at the end of his, you know, uh, work in this, uh, what you, you know, you describe with the term poesis, the, um, Greek term poesis, which, uh, I mean, is it, is it, do you think it's okay to translate that as just kind of the poetic impulse of life and, and the way in which, um, you know, VR might be able to help, um, free us toward, um, the kind of healing possibilities of that artful and creative kind of, um, you know, the various forms of expression. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that. The, um, um, at least the degree to which I understand that poesis will be more open, less classified, less judgmental from beforehand. It will be more, okay, what is this? Um, so being able to facilitate the openness uh, is a great thing. Um, the, the less um, classified it is, the less directed, the more explorative, the more dependent uh, on experience, redirecting to experience of being. Um, if that can be facilitated, then that is great. And that is the great role of art. Uh, I didn't enjoy it before because... I think I was uh, <laughs> uh, a classifier. I, I like to classify <laughs> things. Um, but and then you realize you being can able to art as a non-classifier. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> then I became an art critic. Yeah. Um, I, I think that is great, uh, a great potential, uh, just opening up um, to experience. Yeah. All right. Well, you, Kim, this has been a fantastic conversation. So the last thing I wanted to um, uh, to ask you about is, is if you have anything you'd like to point people to, I know you have your website. Um, what is the, the, the website's address for those listening? It is, uh, matrisa.no. So that's M A T R I S E dot N O. And yeah, that's where it's at. All right. And, I don't have um, anything else. And uh, I wanted to use this opportunity also to mention that you are going to be um, speaking at our virtual reality conference, which is happening in February. And, and, um, and this is actually the first of our kind of um, forms of media that we're releasing about this VR topic. So those of you who are listening who are interested in, in exploring more of this intersection between virtual reality, Eastern philosophy, um, contemplative practice, therapy. Uh, this is basically the, the theme of our, our upcoming quarter. Uh, next few months, we're going to be um, looking more at that. So um, be sure to check out our website for more information. So Yua Kim, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you.